We are going to continue this morning with our look at the minor prophets. Again, as you've been reminded uh, several times, they're not minor from the importance of their message, but they're minor because of the length of the, the books that they wrote. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Haggai uh, this morning, and it is only two chapters. The book of Haggai is only two chapters. It is what's called a post-exilic book which means it was written to the group of Jews that were post-exile. Now, for those of you that don't remember uh, the history of that, I'll give you a brief background. And so, after the reign of Solomon, uh, the kingdom, the Jewish kingdom split into a northern group. There were ten tribes that went to the north, and there were two that remained in the south. The, the group that went to the north was called Israel, and the group that stayed in the south was called Judah. And so as you may remember that the ten tribes that went to the north were scattered about by the Assyrians. They were pretty well wiped out. They really lost all identity as a nation because of the way they were settled in that land up there. And they became part of the group that later became known as the Samaritans. That was the northern tribe. Well, the southern tribe remained intact for a while, but eventually, as was prophesied, as was warned, that if they didn't straighten up their act, God was going to carry them away into captivity. That's exactly what happened in about 606 uh, B.C., that the, the southern tribe of Judah was carried away into Babylonian captivity some 900 miles away. Um, and that lasted about 70 years. And then there was a, the Babylonians were overthrown. And that allowed the way for the Persian government, which was more favorable to the Jews. And so they allowed the people to return. There was about 50,000 of them that returned. And they returned. And so when we say post-exile, that's what we mean is they were exiled to Babylon and then they came back now, and they're going to resettle. And the book of uh, Haggai is written, um, we know exactly when it was written. It was written in the fall of, of the year 520 B.C., between about August the 29th and December the 18th, uh, if you follow our calendar, of that year. And it was written to those Jews who had returned that needed a little bit of prompting, as we'll see. The, the, the title on the screen is Consider Your Ways, because in that short book, two chapters, it's mentioned four different times, and it's emphasized because it's, it's a book really of reflection and encouragement. Reflection. Here's another thing that's, that's unique about it. The people that heard it did it. That's pretty unusual, because usually they heard it and they said, yeah, 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 that's 500 years down the road, I'm not going to worry about it. These guys heard it, they listened to it, and they followed through, and they changed what they were doing, and we'll see that here in a minute. Um, okay, so again, just giving you a little bit of background, we find that in about uh, 733 B.C., the northern group that was exiled by the Assyrians and the way that the, the Assyrians were really brilliant, because what you want to do is if you've got a group that you're trying to control, 
You want to spread them out. So you don't want them to stay unified. So they spread them out all across that, that area of the north. And then they intermarried with other people and lost all identity. And that restricted their ability to rebel. Okay, so then in about 701 B.C., the Assyrians captured 46 cities of, of Judah. And if it wasn't for the great king Hezekiah, they would have taken Jerusalem as well. But because of his faith and prayer to God, uh, God spared them for that time period. And then uh, in 612 B.C., the Assyrians were overrun by the Babylonians. So now the Assyrians are not the dominant empire anymore. It's the Babylonians you've got to worry about. And sure enough, probably Judah thought, oh, this is great. The Assyrians are gone. Well, that's going to be a great deal. Well, about six years later, the exile begins as the Babylonians come in. They take over under King Nebuchadnezzar. They wipe out the Jewish temple. They destroy it. They pillage it. They bring all that stuff back to Babylon. And they send the, um, they send the Jews to Babylon to be their slaves. They're taking them as their slaves. So we fast forward to the year about 539 B.C. The Mede and Persians conquer the Babylonians. So they didn't last long. and They're overrun as well. And there's a new king. And at about 538 B.C., this king Cyrus, who may have been influenced by Daniel, and, and he set out a decree because he was convinced that the Jews' God was real. And so he didn't want to get crossways with any real God. And so he sends these Jews back to uh, Judah to reestablish reestablish the temple and reestablish their worship. And so in about 536 BC, uh, BC, we see that the work on the temple actually begins. Now, look at that. That's a quick turnaround. Two years. In a period of about two years, two and a half years or so, they're going to go from the decree of Cyrus to actually beginning the work on that temple. It takes them about four months just to make the journey. It's 900 miles. They don't have any buses or SUVs or anything. They're walking or riding on camels or dog, some type of, of uh, transportation like that that's very primitive and very slow. So we notice that the word of Haggai comes to, or Haggai comes to the Jews in 520 B.C., in the fall of that year. Okay, so Cyrus's decree, again, 538 B.C., it fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. It also, um, it says that the Lord stirred up the, the spirit of Cyrus. Now, one thing I forgot to mention when we started out is that if you really want to understand Haggai, you have to understand Ezra. Because if you don't understand Ezra, Ezra is kind of commentary on Haggai. Haggai tells you what the prophecy was, but Ezra gives you all of the historical details around the circumstances that they were dealing with at the time. So those books can be studied together very effectively. And I, I found in preparing for this lesson, I probably spent more time in Ezra than I did in Haggai. Because again, Haggai is 
is two chapters. So the Lord stirs up the spirit of Cyrus. The Jews were told to go back to Jerusalem and build a house there for, for their God. Um, they were supplied with gold and silver and lots of resources. You know, you can imagine that this nation has been there for roughly 70 years. Most of those people who were going to make this journey never even seen Jerusalem. But they bought into the idea of a Jewish nation. And they bought into the idea of restoring worship to the God that they no doubt had been preached to and heard about at, in the time of their exile. Cyrus also, he brought the vessels that were confiscated by Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, take these things back to your temple and, and get that set up. And so this was really the mission of the trip. Okay, so the journey, again, let me back up. The journey was a long one, 50,000 people. You can imagine how long that would take. Four months is what they estimate. I can't imagine it being that fast. But they said in four months, uh, they could make that 900-mile journey. There was tremendous sacrifice because you were really leaving the only life that you knew. You were living life in Babylon, and although you were, that wasn't great, it was what you knew. And so you're going to go to this land that you've never seen before. And no doubt that these guys had business arrangements, and they had, they had situations such that they had, had created their life, and now they're leaving it, and they're going to go on this very long and difficult journey to, uh, to set up a new life. Um, pretty tough. And so these are people that are dedicated to God. In fact, when we get here, we see that in the seventh month, they come and the children come, they come to the city. So first thing they did is they all went to the city of their origin, and they, they built little huts and places they could live short term. And then they came to Jerusalem and they began to put things together. And so in the seventh month, we find that they come together in the cities. Uh, they, they gather together in Jerusalem and they rose and they built an altar of, of the Lord God, Lord, of Lord God of Israel to build a burnt offering on it as it's written in the book of the law of Moses, uh, the man of God. So they did this and they set up that, that was the restoring of the, the daily sacrifice that had been done away with for 70 years. It couldn't have, been, couldn't have carried out. So there's no way to worship God for those 70 years according to His plan. Now they've restored that. The temple's not there, but they just have an altar. And so the priest can then minister and the people can bring their sacrifices daily. And they did that for a period of a while, but then on about the second month of the year, uh, or excuse me, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, begin work and, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So they begin this. Again, you see the reference here in Ezra. So seven months in, they set the daily sacrifice. And then about 18 months after that, they start work on the the temple. Then it stops. It stops. There's no, nothing that happens. Haggai's prophecy is not going to come 
for about 16 more years. 16 more years. What are they doing? Well, Haggai comes to them. And I want to read to you from the first chapter. It says, On the first day of the sixth month in Darius' second reign as king. So Cyrus is now no longer the king. Perhaps he's died. Darius is the Persian king at the time. The Lord spoke the word of the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, who was the son of Shealtiel, who was the governor of Judah, and to the chief priest Joshua, who was the son of Jehozadak. He said, this is what the Lord of armies says. Now I'm reading from the uh, God's word translation because I think it's easier to for us to understand. He refers to Lord of Armies. In the old King James, you'll see that as Lord of Hosts. And what it means is it's an army of angels. That's the reference. And it says, these people, referring to these Jews, these people say it's not the right time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke his word through the prophet Haggai and said, Is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You see, what they did is when they couldn't build a temple or wouldn't build the temple, they decided to go back to their houses and they said, Well, let's upgrade these huts and let's make these huts something a little more permanent. Now, this is what the Lord of Armies says. Carefully consider your ways. You planted a lot, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you were never full. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You wear clothes, but you never have enough to keep you warm. You spend money as fast as you earn it. Many of us can relate to that. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Carefully consider your ways. God was, did not bless their efforts. God did not allow them to prosper because of their, their priorities. And their priorities were such that they had chosen to do their own bidding ahead of what God needed them to do. Their priorities were out of line. You know, most of you, are, uh, if you're of age, to uh, begin to make your own money, uh, one of the things that you learn as far as finances are concerned is you've got to put together a budget. And there's a principle in budgeting called pay yourself first. Now, pay yourself first does not mean put a pool of money over here in a little place that the first bright and shiny thing you see you go out and buy. That's not what that means. Pay yourself first means you're going to put that money in a savings that you're not going to spend so that when a crisis comes up, and there will be one, your car's going to break down, your washer's going to quit working, your air conditioner's going to, there's going to be something, you're going to have a medical emergency. There's going to be something that happens. And if you don't pay yourself first, when you get to the end of the month, 
there'll be no money. There'll be no savings. In fact, your savings will be negative because you'll end up spending more than you have and you'll have to pull out the credit card to, to pay that balance and then you'll end up paying an interest that's more, that, that, that's now sucking more money out of your, that you don't have, more money out of your account. It's kind of like that with religion too. And the Jews had kind of gotten that way is that they were going to give God what was left. Let's give him what's left. We'll, we want to build the temple, but first, let me get my house the way I want it. And then I'll be right there and I'll help you with that temple thing. And so, sure enough, 16 years goes by and nothing happens. So again, it can, it can be pretty easy to criticize the Jews here. So he goes on and he says in verse 8, this is chapter 1, verse 8, Go to the mountains, get lumber, and build the house. I will be pleased with it, and I will be honored, declared the Lord. You and then he goes back into his former um, complaint. You expect a lot, but you receive little. When you bring something home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of armies, it's because my house lies in ruins while each of you is busy working on your own house. It is because of you that the sky has withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and whatever the ground produces on humans and animals, and on all your hard work. He put a curse on it. He didn't allow it to be prosperous. Then Zerubbabel, who was the son of Shealtiel, the chief priest, Joshua, who was the son of Jehozadak, and the faithful few who returned from Babylon, obeyed the Lord their God. They obeyed the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and because the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, who received the Lord's message, said to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. In verse 14 it says, The Lord inspired them to rebuild the house. And we find in verse 15 that on the 24th day of the sixth month in Darius's second Year as king, they begin again the work that was needed. They finished it in five years. And so again, th this lesson could just really be about getting your priorities straight and not putting things above service of God. But I want to go back to Ezra and I want to look at something a little bit more. And I want to ask the question, why? They were, they were equipped with what they needed. They were, um, they were given all these resources to put to use. And they were obviously zealous because they made this long trip and they started the work. Why did they get sidetracked. What, what, was, what was the deal? Well, again, if you go back to Ezra, 
to get some more facts, here's what you find. The first thing is their enemy, they tried to infiltrate the work. They, the people that lived around there, again largely Samaritans, would have come in and said, hey, we've been sacrificing to your God while you've been gone, which they knew was impossible because there was no altar. Let us help you build it. Well, Zerubbabel knew that this was a trick, and he said, no, you have no part in this. We're going to build it. So, since they couldn't attack it from the inside, they did the next best thing. They attacked it from the outside. You know, one of the problems that remained until Nehemiah's time is the, um, the walls of the city were not high enough sufficient that they could control access. And so people could just climb over the little, what little wall there was and they could get into the city and they could, so people could work on the temple and they could turn around and they could undo your work real quick. They also hired lawyers to frustrate the work. So if you could make some legal case that you have no right to do this or you can't uh, carry your stones through this area, they could get an injunction that would pro prohibit that. And so their enemies did that to try to stop the work. And then they wrote to the Persian king and they said, Hey, we've been watching these Jews and they're building a huge wall in the city, which was, by the way, not true. See number two. Um, and so the, they were accusing the Jews as, You're going to build a rebellion. The Jews are going to rebuild a rebellion if you let them build the temple. And so, the decree was issued to stop the work. So again, should they have kept working? Yes. But did they face some obstacles that were challenging to them? I think clearly you can see that they did. The truth is, is they were discouraged. As much as they lost their priorities, they adopted other priorities because they got sidetracked from, because of all these, these uh, obstacles that were in their way. And you know, one of the things that you hear is that, well, if God wants something done, then He'll just smooth the path. And uh, I'll just, you know, if, if I start on a work and I run into some obstacles, it must be because God doesn't want me to do that. I just don't believe there's any biblical evidence that that's the case. God wanted them to do that, and yet there was all kinds of obstacles that they had to overcome to be able to get the work done. What Haggai provided them was some encouragement. After Haggai prophesied, they, the rebuilding continued, and as I've already mentioned, in five years they completed the temple. Now the temple was not as grand as it was in the days of Solomon from man's perspective. Uh, and by the way, after, so after all of this, Haggai prophesies, they start the rebuilding, and then King Darius comes in, and he says, yeah, uh, they should, I see the original decree from Cyrus, restart the temple, this is what should happen. And so he told the people that were complaining to stop bothering them and let them finish the work. And, and so, again, they got back on track, and in five years they completed it. In the seventh month on the 21st day, the word of the Lord came again to Haggai. I think this was about October the 17th. Uh, and it, it, the, 
came to Haggai prophesying, and it said this, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? It wasn't very, very many people, because, again, that was 70 years before. And so there probably weren't a lot of 80-year-olds that would have made the journey from Babylon back. But if the ones that did that, look what it says. How do you see it now? And this, they're just looking, they're not looking at the ruins. They're looking at the, uh, the foundation, really. And they're saying, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? Like, I mean, this thing, this thing is going to be much smaller, much more, um, not as grand as Solomon's temple at all. But God says this. God says, I will fill the temple with my glory. And the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former. And here's why. God doesn't see things the way you and I see things. We see things and we see something as grand because, well, in our eyesight, it's grand. But in God's perspective, that's not it. God's perspective is he sees the heart of man and he sees the effort that these people would have to go through to build such a temple. And though it was much smaller and, and more meek and not as grandiose as the original one, it would have taken a greater effort on the part of man to do so. And so God would be more pleased with that effort than he would the former. I want to read from the second chapter in verse number 5 and it says from now on carefully consider this consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the temple think about how things were for you before you start building when anyone came to a pile of grain to get 20 measures there would only be 10 when anyone came to a wine vat to draw up 50 measures, there would only be 20 in it. I infested all your work with blight and mildew and struck it with hail. But you didn't come back to me, declares the Lord. Carefully consider from now on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the foundation of the Lord's house was laid, carefully consider... Is there any seed left in the barn, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive, gold, olive tree still hasn't produced? But he finishes with this. He says, but from now on, I will bless you. Because he saw that they had gotten their priorities in line and they began to start that work again. Instead of cursing their work, now he's going to bless their efforts and their, their efforts will, will yield the kind of results that they had wanted the whole time. So I guess this morning I, I would leave you with the thoughts that can you be Haggai to somebody? Can you be an encouragement? It takes understanding, it takes understanding why things are the way that they are. 
not being so quick to judge that we don't really look into the situation to the depth that's necessary to understand. Uh, many of you know that when I was an assistant principal years ago, uh, I ran into all kinds of things, and in school business you do that. Uh, I, was, I did that for two and a half years, and I remember one case. We had a young man who had stolen some things from the cafeteria line. And, of course, we, I, he was found out, he was punished, all that. The grandmother called me later, and she said, I want to come talk to you. So she came in, and we had a meeting, and she said, I fully support you punishing him for that behavior. By the way, the grandmother was the, the guardian. I fully support you punishing him for that, because we've got to teach him that that's not acceptable. But just to give you some background, I want you to understand that when he was a toddler, the mom was not in the house very much, and the dad was hardly there, and the, there were like two kids there, and they were pretty much fending for themselves. And there was a lot of times there was no food in the house at all. But when there was, the one thing that this kid learned is if there was some food in the house, you better get it and hoard it so that you'll have enough to eat. Now, so... Do you see how just understanding that changes your, changes your thought about this, this kid? Did the kid need to be punished? Of course. We've got to teach them not to do that. But understanding the why helped me do the things I needed to to kind of nurture this kid along and kind of get him over that. I've always appreciated that grandmother for doing what she did because she genuinely cared about those kids. And again, that was the guardian at the time. But understanding why. So this morning I would ask you, is there somebody that's out there that you know? That maybe they're struggling in their Christianity. And you, you have the key to help them. You know them well enough that you could have the conversation that needs to be had. Is there someone that's not a Christian? If there's someone that's not a Christian and you know and they're struggling in their life and you think that they might be open to hearing the gospel, could you reach out a hand and say, have you met Jesus? I don't know that much about it. I'll try to put you in touch with somebody that can. If you can't fully explain, then put, put them in touch with us or somebody else that's knowledgeable about the scriptures and can help them. Uh, do that. Be Haggai to somebody. This morning, if the church can help you in some way, we are going to offer a song of invitation. I would also ask you to consider your priorities. Are your priorities in your heart right with God? Or are you like that budget that just puts, puts him on the back burner? And I'll, I'll, I'll get to my savings when I get to it. And comes to the end of the month and it never happens. So we'll offer a song of invitation if we can help you in any way we would ask you to come.